Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden, the Well-Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can check them out right now at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Happy ho-ho. I have no response to that. It's Christmas. You threw time. me. It is. It is Christmassy time indeed. We uh don't We're... stop recording for anything as minor as the holidays. <laughs> why why would we? I mean that's prime podcasting time. You've got All a bunch the time of time in the off. World. Yeah. yeah. No, we're not busy. Presents aren't totally unwrapped sitting next to me here in a pile. Listen, uh you are breaking the illusion that this is <laughs> coming out on Christmas Eve. Look, anyone who knows me well enough knows that I am not one of those put-together-and-ready adults. That's not true. In There have been previous Christmases where we have been well put together and been ahead of the curve. Oh, this is not one of those this years. This is not one of those years. This, is, this has been one of those years where it's been kind of a last-minute scramble to get just anything done. Despite our best efforts. Just been all over the place this year. It's kind of weird. Like, honestly, we started shopping a month ago. And we are... Technically, as of this recording, not quite done. Not almost. So close. Yeah. Like, so, so close. I so think we close. have, like, one more thing to get. Yeah. Maybe two. Maybe three. We'll see. How many? Hold on. Hold the phone. No, we're not discussing this on the podcast. <laughs> Especially because it's, in theory, Christmas when people are listening to this. So, well, or at the very least, Christmas Eve. If, if they're listening when we release this episode, it's Christmas Eve. Or, at the very least, over Christmas. If if you're not listening to it immediately upon yeah. The day it drops. So so it's probably a little post-Christmas. Possibly. In which case, I hope you had a lovely Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll probably touch on that again the following episode, which will be New Year's Eve. <laughs> right. So. so in that case, we will wish people a lovely New Year. Yeah. Hopefully the New Year will be a good one. But uh, at any rate, we are currently in the midst of a book, and that is what we are really here to talk about. And we've got, I think, Possibly quite a bit to talk about in this chapter, so we should probably get into it. Yeah, probably. Brief recap of our previous chapter in which our hero, Jebby, manages to construct a grammar that allows them to commune with Arazi, the dragon automata, despite being very sick. <laughs> and having learned firsthand exactly what happened in the quote-unquote massacre, has determined that they cannot allow this dragon to fall into the hands of of the Rosani Empire. And so Which is where it currently is. Yeah, but it it can't be allowed to work for the Rosani Empire. And so That feels more accurate. A plan is hatched to escape, and that leads us into chapter nine of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. So Jebby needs help. That's pretty apparent right from go. 
and decides that the best person to go to for help would probably be someone with ties to revolutionaries. And while it's not spelled out right at the beginning of the chapter that they're going to seek out their sister. Oh, it is super duper obvious. It's very obvious that they're planning to sneak out, slip the leash at least for long enough to make contact with Bong Sunga. And that is kind of the thrust of this chapter. Yes. Having had a good experience with Zakan and knowing Zakan is a little loosey goosey, Jebby decides that Zakan is going to be their target here and starts asking around amongst the servants. Does Zakan have any, like, vices that I might be able to take advantage of? And after greasing some palms and making some inquiries, finds out Zakan, big lover of music. hangs oh, yes. out Hangs out a lot of places in town where you can listen to some live music and, and really get into it. And so Jebby's like, all right, hey, guards, I'd like to go out on the town for an evening. Is it possible that I might be able to go with Zakan? And the guards are like, I don't know. How much money are you willing to bribe us with? And <laughs> and Jebby's like, as much as it takes, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and having made the requisite bribes and uh, arranged to go out with Zakan, uh, mentions to Zakan they want to head out to the Lucky Cat, which is one of Zakan's regular hangs. Yeah. And Zakan is super popular excited. music venue. Yeah. Zakan is like, oh, that's. Perfect. I love going there. I'll I'll show you around. I'll uh, I'll I'll show you what there is to enjoy there. Arazi cuts in around this time and is like, "You you planning to get Zakan drunk there?" And Jebby is like, "Wait, you can hear what's going on in my brain right now." <laughs> Jebby's like, "Hold on. There's a dragon in my head. What?" Yeah. Um. And apparently, this is an unintended side effect of the grammar that Jebby was using. Is that the connection that they established with Arazi is still active? Yeah. Uh, despite them not being in close proximity to one another. Right? I don't know about you. This was giving me serious Memory Called Empire vibes here. A little bit. Having having someone in your I head. Will, I will say there are aspects of this chapter that both reminded me of A Memory Called Empire and The Municipalists. And we'll, <laughs> we'll get into it. Yep. Okay. Arazi appears to be able to kind of sense what's going on through Jebby's either thoughts or senses. And this actually will become more pronounced as the chapter progresses, suggesting that this magic is, in fact, getting stronger <laughs> as it goes. Could be a problem. Who's to say? I Yeah. I have questions about how this actually works. We'll maybe touch on that toward yeah, the end. Yeah, we though. can come back. We'll put a pin in that. Suffice to say, Arazi is amused by this whole skullduggery thing <laughs> that's going on. Jebby's like, I suppose that tracks. It's been cooped up in the hangar forever. Yeah, it's, it's only been outside a couple times, probably. Yeah, so uh, kind of vicariously getting out and having an adventure is probably quite a thrill for Arazi. With that in mind, Jebby kind of starts describing the area as they and Zakan make their way to the Lucky Cat and notices a taffy seller, and Arazi is like, ooh, get some. <laughs> I want to know what taffy's like. And it, I mean, that's twisting Jebby's rubber arm. Right. And Jebby we, goes to get the taffy. We know that Jebby is fond of treats. And then Jebby has this like, oh, can you, like, taste through me as well? And Arazi's like, oh, goodness, no. I don't have a sense of taste. <laughs> but I have a vivid imagination. You should taste all the things for me. <laughs> and tell me what it's like. And this this is the flashback to the municipalists. Yes. With Owen purposefully ordering a bunch of terrible food for Henry to sample. Yeah. Simply so that he can enjoy it vicariously. Yeah. Is you... it terrible? Tell me about it. Tell me everything. <laughs> so Zakan and Jebby arrive at the Lucky Cat. And uh, while well, Jebby gets kind of uh, cleaned up, having 
eaten a bunch of taffy. <laughs> Zakan haggles for a performance. They settle in. And Zakan is like, I wish the musicians wouldn't be behind like... These screens. Screen, yeah. Because I'd love to be able to actually see them play. Jebby's like, oh, Zakan is unaware of the local custom. Which is that uh, you only see the musicians who are available, quote unquote. Wink, wink. Uh, and if they're not available, wink... They're behind the screen, so you're just enjoying their music. You're yes. not getting a look at what they look like. This is uh, this is apparently a full service music well, this, bar. This tracks to me. The implication, certainly from the way Jebby describes it, is live music performances are maybe a little more common in places where you can also pay for sex. Yes. Yeah. So. And the entertainment yeah, district, a full service entertainment, and yeah. indeed the Lucky Cat is in the. Yeah. The uh, like red light district. Yeah. So everybody settles in for some music. Arazi seems to particularly be enjoying it. And Jebby can't kind of help but get caught up in that. And Zakan is like, yeah, you're into it. I like it. <laughs> and Jebby starts to wonder, oh, God, does Zakan think I'm trying to pick her up? <laughs> like, I mean, maybe. Because this could be a little awkward. But it turns out Zakan is just really into music. Like more so than Jebby was perhaps even led to believe initially. Yeah, just... Zakan is kind of off in her own little space. Yeah, uh, getting getting drunk, enjoying the music, getting into discussions about the music between sets with Jebby that Jebby can barely follow. And once Jebby feels that Zakan has gotten kind of suitably drunk, they make an excuse to go and use the outhouse, which is a half-truth. Well, yeah, because they do use the outhouse. Yeah. And then they also run away. <laughs> yeah, they slip off to go touch base with Bongsunga. So things don't go exactly to plan, but at the same time, Jebby didn't really have a plan, so things probably worked out better than expected. Yeah. If there's one thing we've learned about Jebby, like, a lot of forward thinking isn't really their strong suit. Yeah. Jebby's plan really kind of breaks down to take Sakan out drinking, get Sakan drunk, question mark, talk to Bongsunga. <laughs> right? It's, <laughs> it's find Bongsunga. Which is a little vague. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> Jebby even wonders, like, would Bong Sunga even be at our house? Because, in theory, the Ministry is watching the place, because they know about Bong Sunga. Yeah. So, like, how am I going to touch base? And kind of just decides, well, even if Bong Sunga's not there, she's probably also keeping an eye on the place. Someone around there could probably get a message to her. But Jebby doesn't make it to the house, because they're almost immediately caught by a patrol, because they're out after curfew without an escort. Yeah. And they get lost. That too. <laughs> Which doesn't help. So absolutely, Jebby gets caught. A troop of automata kind of surround them. The interpreter's like, hey, yo, you should be home. And uh, being out after curfew is a major offense. You're going to have to pay a fine and you're going to have to come with me. And Jebby's like, oh, this actually might work in my favor. Because if I'm arrested, number one, I'll be safe. Number yes. two, the ministry's probably not going to be checking the jails for me immediately. So yeah. uh, so this actually works out and is like, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I got lost and turned around. I'll come with you quietly. Could you send word to my sister Bong Sunga at address? Yeah. Because she'll pay for my release. And the interpreter's like, yeah, no problem. It's, it's not so much a, hey, no problem. It's more like an, uh, fine. Jebby spends the night in the jail getting more and more antsy uh, until Bong Sunga actually does arrive in the morning. I was legit surprised. I, I wasn't sure that anyone was going to get a hold of Bonsuga and that she would show up. I di genuinely didn't know. Um, I think 
you're as surprised as Jebby, actually, because Jebby was hoping Bong Sunga would show up. Uh, but she does, and she's looking quite dour. Arazi actually comments about how she looks like a fierce warrior, and Jebby actually kind of does take that into account. It's like, she does kind of look like a fierce warrior. I've never really noticed yeah, that Yeah, I've before. never noticed that before. Um, also somewhat off-put about the fact that Arazi's connection seems to allow the dragon to see through their eyes now. Right? Yeah. Okay, so, so far, Arazi has access to brain. Eyes. Eyes and ears. ears. Yep. Away from the jail, Bongsunga is the first to break the silence after they've made it a suitable distance. Yeah. And is like, so... You go missing for weeks, and then you just turn up in jail and ask for me to come and bust you out? Not even just weeks, months. Yeah. Jebby's been gone for months. And to be fair, Jebby is relieved, because this implies that Bongsuga has been worried. And does care. Aww. Yeah. Um, and as upset as Bongsunga seems, there's a genuine sense of relief that comes off of her. Like, okay, I know you're alive, I know you're safe, you're back with me. There's a sense of, I'm very cross, but that's for another time. Right now there's relief. Yeah, I'll be mad at you later. We've got stuff to do. And Jebby's like, okay, well, before that, I have a serious dilemma. And Bongsuga's like, don't say anything right now. Wait until we've reached a safe house I know about. They wind their way through a bunch of alleys and make it to the safe house that Bongsunga referred to. Upon getting inside, Bongsunga sits down with them and is like, okay, tell me everything. And so, Jebby tells them everything. Suddenly, Jebby is full of all of the truth. Well, Jebby's probably been dying to tell someone what's been going on, too. So it just comes all spilling out. Arazi occasionally chimes in in their head to kind of fill in some gaps. Jebby does leave out a couple things. Uh, Does not mention the mental connection to the weapon of mass destruction. That might be awkward. Also... Doesn't mention the inconvenient attraction to the woman who probably killed Gia, because that would also be a little uncomfortable to discuss at this time. How do you explain the dragon in your head? Not easily. Right? Yeah. Bongsuga does not interrupt this whole time, just sits, lets it all wash over her. And then after Jebby kind of wraps up, there's there's a moment as Bongsunga kind of like calculates all of this and is like, okay, so first question. Could you turn that dragon against the Razani? And second question, if we got you the materials, could you build a Tomata for us? Arazi's like, um, um <laughs> I believe I have some say in this. And Jebby's like, quiet you. We need to worry about getting you out first. <laughs> okay, so it starts out like this. Jebby is full of the truth. And then Jebby is full of the lies. Um, Jebby hints that these are possible things, but does not necessarily outright say these are possible things and does bring up a few like contingent points in this like i might be able to smuggle out some materials and some like training manuals but there's no guarantee i might be able to turn the dragon against the razani but like we'd have to get it out first it still kind of feels like lying because Jebby is absolutely telling Bonsunga what she wants to hear oh yeah and Jebby outright says like right now Bonsunga needs to hear yes so that we can get you out, and then we'll worry about the rest later. Which tracks with Jebby's usual planning. Yeah. Step one first, and then I'll figure out step two after step one is done. Yeah, step one first. I know what step three needs to be. Uh, steps 1.5 through 2.9, uh, still kind of fuzzy. Bongsunga accepts Jebby's more or less yes, though, and is like, okay, well, we'll 
we'll smuggle you back into the Summer Palace. Not a problem. Once you're back, you deal with the fallout of having disappeared for the night. You get yourself settled back in. You figure out what you can get out. And when you're confident you can get out, I'll send word to agents I have in the Summer Palace. They will get you out. And Jebby's like, get me out to where? And Bongsuga's like, well, we know some safe spaces out of the country. Like, it's fine. We're we're in talks with some of the neighboring regions. We've got connections to the West. We can get you out. Because we're all in it against the Rosani. And this actually raised a little point for me. <laughs> because the Rosani are really paranoid about the West encroaching into this region. Yep. And the Huagugans are apparently thick as thieves with the West right now. And that's... That's an enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was even thinking those exact same words. And the I'm enemy a, of my enemy is my friend. And I'm a little worried about that. That the West might be taking advantage of the resistance to strike at the Rosani from the inside, right? Oh, it is. I, I wouldn't even say possible. I would say likely. Yeah. And this this kind of tracks with Bong Sunga's whole attitude in this chapter and indeed previously. And we'll put a little pin in that because I want to talk about that a little bit. Okay. Jebby is a little worried in this moment that Bongsunga is basically telling them, you're going to spend the rest of your life in exile. You're never going to be able to come home. And Bongsunga is like, well, that's an option. Or you can come back and help the resistance. It's up to you. And Jebby's like, well, first things first. We need to get that dragon out of I there. Did, I did promise a dragon. <laughs> yeah. So that is the priority. And that is also the end of chapter nine. Yeah. So I'm going to circle back to my first thing, which was Bung Sunga. She is very single-minded. Yes. She is determined to break the Rizani control of her homeland, almost certainly partly motivated by Gia's death. And, partly. And is willing to go to any extreme to do that. That's very obvious at this juncture. Oh, because yeah. she's making friends with the terrifying Western nations. She's uh, willing to send Jebby into danger. She's contemplating hijacking a weapon of mass destruction. Bong Sunga being an extremist is absolutely going to be a problem in coming chapters. Oh, because yep. Arazi is a pacifist and will not want to fight. Correct. So I, this is this is setting up to be a, a significant impediment. I wonder if Bong Sunga doesn't also have some tunnel vision going on. Uh, that seems to be a trait that might run in the family. Yeah. 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 Just things unnoticed. Also... She seems to be not just a revolutionary, but one who is fairly high ranked like, yeah, as the hierarchy goes. There's there's definitely the implication that Bong Sunga is one of the leaders in the rebellion. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. opposed to just being a rebel. Yeah. Right? For sure. <sighs> How did Jebby not pick up on that at all? Uh, because as you said, tunnel vision, T- tunnel vision. which I apparently know. runs in the family. Jebby Woo! was not interested in politics, was involved in art. And again, I feel like Bong Sunga was purposefully keeping Jebby at arm's length for the longest time. Oh yeah, it seemed it seemed that way too. Yeah, something Arazi mentions in this chapter also jumped out at me. Um, at one point, while listening to the music, Arazi's like, "This is kind of how I imagine the sea might sound," and Jebby's like, "Excuse me, you've lived in a bunker for all your life, and you were briefly in a forest. What do you know about the sea?" And Arazi's like, "I'm still a dragon, yo," <laughs> and that was like, "Okay, interesting that Arazi was programmed." As a dragon. I have so many questions. Yeah. Why Why does Arazi know things dragons should know if Arazi is a robot and not a real dragon? That leads me to believe there's more going on there than we know. So many questions. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is my pin from earlier. How does this work? 
So Arazi can hear when Jebby thinks to him. Mm. Does Arazi hear everything or just what Jebby purposely says in their mind to him? Well, Arazi chimes in a couple times during conversation. And it's pretty clear that Arazi can kind of hear through Jebby's ears. Right. But that's not the same as having access to all of Jebby's thoughts. Right. Because Jebby's having all these side thoughts. These inner comments whenever Arazi speaks to them. Arazi? And I don't know if Arazi can hear that and is purposely ignoring it or not. Uh, Arazi actually chimes in initially off of an internal thought of Jebby's and then is like, oh, I'm sorry. Is that rude that I'm eavesdropping on your thoughts? So yes, Arazi can 100% hear Jebby's thoughts. All right, then. And Arazi has access to uh, Jebby's eyes. Uh, by the end of the chapter, it seems so, which implies and to me that Jebby's ears implies to me that the connection is getting stronger. Yeah. Now, is this because Jebby didn't have someone else check the grammar? Possibly. Did Jebby like not that it's a bad mistake, but did Jebby make a mistake, or it was or simply did something unintended? I'm under the impression that they did not intend to have a permanent mental link with the dragon. That was not a stated goal of this. So yeah, it's probable that because they didn't have the grammar double-checked and they were making a guess at what they would need to use, probably they overdid it, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because they they didn't set up for it to be a link. They simply wanted to communicate. Yeah, a line of communication, not a permanent line of communication. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm just, I'm really curious to see how this pans out. Because it's magic, and so I don't entirely understand how it works. Yeah, at the end of the day, a wizard did it, so... Yeah. Something else I want to mention really quick is how much I love the dichotomy of Arazi in this chapter. How he is this delightful innocent taking joy in experiencing the world vicariously through Jebby, Mm -hmm. right? He wants to know how the taffy tastes, and he wants to enjoy how the music sounds, and he wants descriptions of everything because it's so fascinating to him. And at the same time, he also behaves like this old wise dragon who has like a deep philosophy about uh, his choices and his freedoms and how he wants like agency in his own existence. Well, I mean, there's definitely some dragon in Arazi and that comes with like the wisdom of ages. But uh, at the same time, Arazi's also experiencing life to a certain extent for the first time. That's what so, I mean. Yeah. I love I love that. It makes Arazi uh, a surprisingly uh, rich character to it's, me. It's the difference between knowing about a thing and experiencing a thing. Yeah. The difference between book smarts and street smarts, I guess. Uh, Arazi might know theoretically what taffy is, but has never experienced taffy. Arazi might know what music is, but has never experienced music. Yeah. 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 It was a fun read. I enjoyed the, the lightheartedness of it for a while. Pretty fun chapter overall, really. Yeah, I, I liked thought it. it was a good read. Um, maybe we'll uh, see what the fallout is of Jebby's truancy I'm, as we move into next chapter. I'm worried how Jebby's going to get back into the Summer Palace. Oh, I think it'll be as easy as walking up to the Summer Palace and then being told, uh, you're not allowed out again. Which because would suck. Because of this. Probably with some manner of excuse, Akan probably got fired. Oh, I hope not. Or at least in serious trouble. And Vey uh, is going to be all sorts of worried. But Possibly. Uh, but I yeah. think it depends on how long Jebby stays away. Oh, if Jebby's smart, they'll be back that afternoon and just be like, hey, I got picked up by a patrol and I've been in jail for the day. Sorry. I got dr- super drunk 
I got turned around going out to the outhouse. I got scooped up by a patrol and I spent the night in a drunk tank. Sorry, my bad. I hope Jebby is smart enough to come up with that excuse. And I hope it works. Well, my thinking is that that's the obvious excuse because it's also mostly true. But wouldn't wouldn't the ministry learn about Jebby's bail and know that Jebby's had contact with Bonsunga? Sure. I think they would care about that a great deal. Just say, hey, I didn't want to upset the ministry and I panicked, so I asked for my sister to come and bail me out. And she did, and then I came back here. I'm just saying. And let her know that I'm working for the government and she's super angry at me now. So, I mean, again, half-truths. I know. And if they're like, you shouldn't have contact with your sister, be like, I'm sorry. I, what was I supposed to do? Send for Vey? I was worried that I'd be in serious trouble. And I'm obviously in trouble. Spin it that they were worried that the ministry would be angry, so they reached out to someone neutral. I, mm, I suppose. Again, I'm not sure Jebby's good enough at making excuses. No, clearly I am a much more experienced liar than Jebby. Wait anyway, a second. <laughs> so with that said, you'll want to read up on chapter 10 in time for next week. And uh, in the meantime, you know, it's the holidays. You're probably going to have at least a little bit of time off, statutory holidays being what they are. And uh, during that time, you might be looking for something to occupy your time. And what better way to occupy your time than with a podcast, especially if you're maybe going from from one place to another. Um, we are an excellent accompaniment to things like baking, cooking, cleaning. Yes, but not only us, because <laughs> there are other podcasts that are part of the Alberta Podcast Network. I meant we as in podcasters. There you go. Um, you can find other podcasts on our network, and this is one of them. Hello and welcome to That's a Thing, a sometimes belated, already outdated guide to your teens, tweens, and everything under 20. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Karen. Every month we have a conversation across the generation gap about media, pop culture, society, the internet, that kind of thing. Karen is my mom, and she's old. <laughs> I am her daughter, and I am young. Together we are one human being, here to share with you. Uh, sometimes we bring in another human being, who's Elizabeth's brother, John, to do a deep dive into memes and stuff like that. Hi. Thank you, John. Uh, we were named the Outstanding Kids and Family Series at the 2020 Canadian Podcast Awards. So we have that going for us. Yes, and we will brag about it until the day the podcast ends, because I am petty. <laughs> You can find That's a Thing in the podcatcher of your choice. That is That's a Thing, question mark, exclamation point. You can also find us at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Is that everything? I think that's it. Thanks, sweetheart. Bye. You can check them out and others right now at the Alberta Podcast Network. It's albertapodcastnetwork.com. While you're seeking them out, you can probably find them on your podcatcher of choice as well. It's likely where you're getting us from. You might give us a little rating and a review. We'd appreciate that. Nice little present for us. Yeah, you could uh, also reach out and wish us a happy holidays via social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those. You can also email us directly. Yes, we are the read along at gmail.com. There is a theme. Yes. Yeah. And uh, with that said, have a very happy holidays. And we love you very much. And we'll see you next time. Say goodnight to the dragon in your head.
Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.